Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a guy who, like myself, would like to remind you that we did not do this to you. You did this to yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain. Yeah, don't make me turn this car around. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today we are sipping on Roaring Silence by the innovative brewers over at Jackie O's Microbrewery. This is a delicious, hazy double IPA. You can find it with the threatening, psychedelic baboon on the can. But don't be scared. It's just a front. 9% horsepower on this one. Garage grade, four and a half bottle caps out of five. And here's a toast and cheers to our beer fridge filling friends. Cheers to Maria in Mount Mellick, Colorado. And a big, we like your jib to Rich and Kristen in the windy city of Chicago. Next up, all the way on the West Coast, we have Nicole, Elisa, and Libby from Conway, Washington. And then one of my favorite cities, Mark S. in Philadelphia. And also, I want to give a shout out to... Ashley WTF, we like your jib, but we did catch you and Jimmy skinny dipping in the parts unknown public pool, and that is not allowed. So pay your fee. Next, we have a big thank you to Katie Z in Kansas City. We have Samantha D in Lisbon, Iowa. And last but certainly not least, we have Jeremy and Melissa in Old Town Orange, California. Thank you to everyone for filling up this week's beer fridge. If you want to help us out with next week's shows, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. Yeah, everybody say it with me. B-W-E-R-R-U-N, B-W-E-R-R-U-N, beer run. You want to help out the show? Go to iTunes and give us a five-star review. And that is enough 
of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. On October 17th, 1983, on a typically quiet Monday morning in a residential community located in Franklin Township, a panic-crazed young woman clothed only in an ill-fitting blue bathrobe with her head shaved and handcuffs dangling from her left wrist was pounding on the door of a home located in Melody Village. Now, to be clear, Captain, this Franklin Township that we are talking about is located along the Cuyahoga River in northeast Ohio. The homeowner opened the door trying to comfort the traumatized woman, asking what was wrong, to which the woman responded, call the police, call the police. Between lapses into hysterical sobbing that staggered even hard-bitten police officers, she said to police that she had been abducted at gunpoint around 10.15 p.m. the night before in a Mahoning County filling station while she was working a shift alone. She went on to tell police that she was handcuffed and forced to lay down in a van and she could not see where her abductor was taking her. After traveling what seemed like a good amount of distance, she felt the van turn into a driveway and heard a garage door open. She could tell that the van had pulled into a garage. Then she heard the door activated once again, this time closing behind the van. She was now trapped. Her abductor ordered her out of the van and through a door. The garage was attached to a home. As terrified as she was, she could not help but to notice how normal the place looked. In fact, the home was extremely neat and tidy. Once inside, the man quickly started in with the name-calling and degrading this woman and threatening her with pain and death. She was maliciously instructed to undress. He handcuffed her to a weight bench. During the next approximate nine hours, he raped and forced her to perform a series of sex acts, during the course of which she was tortured with electrical shock torture. Her head was shaved. A plastic bag was placed over her head and taped around the neck until she passed out. She was punched in her stomach and chest area and beaten with a belt until she bled. Then after the hours of torment, she was handcuffed and tied face down on a bed. Her captor, after threatening his prisoner, told her he was leaving for work and he would return in about three hours. Within minutes, she was able to escape the home, running out the front door into the streets of this quiet neighborhood, eventually arriving on the doorstep of a neighboring house across the street where someone answered the door and the police were called. Yeah, could I imagine what's going through her head at that time? And also could I imagine what was going through the neighbor's head when this lady comes upon your, your front door? Yeah, the call came in around 8.30 a.m., the distress call, and at 11 a.m., this guy, Robert Bob Buell, returned to his three-bedroom slab house where he was, of course, 
greeted by police and quickly handcuffed. They, sh- they should have just punched him right in the dick and then cuffed him. Bob Buell was the homeowner, and of course, this woman is going to be able to identify him as her abductor, attacker, torturer. Uh, the list goes on and on. Yeah. This, obviously, Captain, will be an open and shut case. Police had the woman's story. They had blood and marks to prove it. And police were going through the home when Robert Buell returned home at 11 a.m. Yeah, got him. They found the weight bench. They found ligatures, some still tied to bedposts. They found the man's gun that the victim said was used in the abduction. They also found weapons and torture devices, one of which is described as electrical cord or extension cord, basically cut in half with wires fully exposed on one end and the other end fully intact so you could still plug it into the wall electrical outlet. Yeah, this guy's an animal, scumbag, piece of shit. As said, this was an open and shut case, but based off of the atrocities carried out by Bob Buell, now the question is, what is this guy capable of, fully capable of? And has he done anything more? that we should be aware of. So when they're tearing through his house, building their case against him for this woman who thankfully she got out of there, she managed to escape this house of horrors. They're starting to find things there at his home that they're going, wait a second. This is matching up with some of the physical evidence that we found at the Krista Harmon body disposal site. Right. Remember, they had a lot of physical evidence, a lot of items that were found near her body. They found uh, cardboard boxes, a plastic, for lack of a better word, plastic trash bag. They found some clothing items. And this is very interesting to them because now they think they know what this monster is capable of. But what else has this guy done? Yeah, I mean, the the abduction is sophisticated. The the ways in which he tortured this victim, you could say it's sophisticated. It's not, doesn't seem like this is his first time. That's right. Going off of the witness statement, off of the victim statements, it seems like one of two things. Either this guy's done this before because he seems very precise and deliberate with his commands and his demands with right. his victim. That either this guy's done this before or this was incredibly well rehearsed to the point where everything was going according to his plan. So who is this guy, Robert Anthony Buell? Robert Anthony Buell was born September 10th, 1940 in Norwood, Ohio. He grew up a skinny kid and his parents called him Butchie at home. Better than douchey. He was the first of two children born to a family that was described as destined to disintegrate. He attended Williams Avenue Elementary School in Norwood. This was a working-class suburb of Cincinnati. His mother was a waitress. She would tell her children that their father was no good, that he drank all the family's money away. Like the colonel. So this soon would lead to the separation of Robert's parents. Custody of the children was awarded to the mother. Shortly after the divorce, the children were put into boarding school. In 1959, Robert graduated from Norwood High School. In October of 61, he enlisted in the U.S. Navy, where he became an electronics 
technician. When he left Cincinnati, Robert seemed to have slammed the door on his past, especially on his family. In 1962, he gets married, and in 1965, he and his wife welcome into this world Robert's only child. This is a daughter. That same year, he is honorably discharged from the U.S. Navy. Robert Bob Buell enrolls at the University of Akron taking night classes. In 1968, Bob moves into the quiet residential community of Melody Village in Summit County, Ohio. So this case, when our victim breaks free and escapes his home, this takes place way back in 1983. Right. But Robert Buell had moved into this home in 1968. So like you pointed out, you couldn't imagine what's going through her head and, and, and all the horrible things she's been put through. But the neighbors as well, because this is a guy that was known in the community. Yeah. I mean, anybody that lives in. A, lived there for 15 years. Right. He's a, he's a fixture in that community. Bob then works as a loan officer for. Centran Bank, Centran Bank in Akron, Ohio. Now, in 1975, Bob Buell takes a job working as a loan and grant specialist. This is a job change for him, but a loan and grant specialist in the Akron Planning Department's Rehabilitation Program. So he takes this job in 1975, Captain, and he's still working there in 83 when this woman manages to escape from his home. That's the job he was going off to, and it looks like he was going to return to his prisoner on his lunch break, I'm guessing, right. where he's then greeted by police. Yeah, but so I'm guessing at this point he's not married. Yeah, and, they separated. And there's no child living at that location. Well, they separated, and this is, it seems to be, there There was probably some other things going on, but in August of yeah. 1978. <laughs> Boy, you think? Buell was arrested in Uniontown for public indecency. Mm. Now, for this, he simply pays a small fine, and less than two years later, record of this conviction is expunged. In September of 80, Bob and his wife of 18 years, according to what I could find, say that they mutually decided to call it quits, and that's when they got their divorce. In August of 81... We're going to go through some some things that Bob might be suspected of, yeah, things that were going on in the area. Yeah. So in August of 81, a stranger fondles a 13-year-old Doylestown girl in the basement of her home. And I have very little details about this alleged crime here, but she would later identify this quote-unquote stranger as Bob Buell. She identifies him, picks him out of a, a photograph. I'm I'm uncertain what this stranger was doing at the home. I don't know if there was, Bob was doing. You know, a large party going on uh, and it happened to be someone she didn't know. It, it It's right. all a little bit weird without having the details here in this case. But what is interesting is afterward, after this poor girl was fondled in the basement, Someone starts placing anonymous phone calls to the home of the 13-year-old victim. Right. It's a male caller that's asking for the little girl by name. Yeah, that's sicko. Now, it's just two months later when Tina Harmon disappeared and was killed. Mm -hmm. 
In late March of the following year, in 1982, an Akron woman is abducted at knife point from a local mall. She is robbed and sexually assaulted by the attacker. She reports the attack to police, but she's unable to identify the assailant. Less than four months later, in mid-July, Krista Harrison, who we talked about last week, is abducted and killed. Then September 30th, 1982, a 26-year-old Barberton woman is abducted at gunpoint outside of a local tavern. The attacker did little to hide his identity. He forced her to walk with him into a nearby field. This is, you know, off into the distance, into the darkness, where she was beaten and sexually assaulted. Now, just like our Akron victim, she reports the attack to the local authorities, and although the assailant did nothing to hide his face, she was only able to provide a description of the unknown man. That vague description, as vague as it is, will be similar but not spot on to a suspect composite sketch that we saw stemming from the Krista Harrison murder investigation. Yeah, I mean, if you put Robert up to these these sketches, yes, they look similar, but anybody with like average length hair with a mustache, white and skinny is going to fit that, that, that sketch. Yeah. So my thoughts on the sketch here, and, and this is where my mind jumped to immediately when Bob is picked up for abducting this woman, she escapes from his home. When police show up there, they one, now they know, what this guy is up to. I mean, these are horrible, horrible crimes. Yeah, piece of shit. Okay, this this is beyond just abduction and rape. This is this is a whole nother horrible level here. Right. And police we said that they found some items that were seem to be matching up as far as physical evidence goes to the Krista Harrison murder case. But I think and you're right. I mean, these composite sketches are there. They are vague because it's just a very brief encounter that the witness had with, with Krista Harrison's abductor. Right. But I mean, he looks, it, it looks to me like somebody sat down looking at Robert Buell and drew a picture of him. Yeah. That's, that's how close I think the, uh, the composite sketches are to him. Now it helps him to go undetected that he lives a distance away from where these other crimes went down. Right now, just before the spring season of the following year. So now we are at, uh, the first of March, 1983. Well, and hold on there for a second too, because I also think his occupation plays into this a little bit. And we kind of talked about this in the previous case of the, of the disheveled guys, the, the farm hands that get accused of a crime and you go, well, they, they kind of fit that profile. If he's a loan officer, he is showing up every day to work, probably in a suit and tie. So that, I think, uh, along with um, his house and the neighborhood in which he lives, I just got a notification that you sent me a picture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his occupation, the place where he lives, the neighborhood, and then the, and the condition of the house in which he kept it really is all by design to throw people off any kind of scent that this guy is an animal. Mm-hmm. Well, on the 1st of March in 1983, a male driver 
of a dark-colored van approached two young girls ages 13 and 12 in Lodi, Ohio. Some people say Lodi, some people say Lodi. He pulls a gun and threatens both of them and attempts to abduct them right then and there. The girls immediately scream at the sight of the gun and they flee the attacker. Mm -hmm. So this guy was unable to control the situation, unable to control his targets, and with the risk of being spotted by somebody else, the would-be abductor returns to his van and speeds away into the night. Now, we've talked about this van before. We believe it's uh, like a dark red or a maroon color, tinted windows, and has the circle windows in the back. Well, we have a few different descriptions based off of witness statements that they believe either a, it's often referred to as a dark colored van. Right. Because what we have here is different witnesses throw a different color name. You know, they might, one witness might say purple, one might say brown, one might say a dark maroon color. Right. But what is agreed upon is that it was a dark full-size van that, that was in question for the Krista Harrison case. Well, not to step on your toes, but does Robert have a van matching this description? Uh, he does. And that's where things get a little wonky. That's going to be ultimately his downfall is this van in this kryptonite. This van is very much involved in a lot of these cases, be it either he uses it to abduct someone or as we're later going to suspect, maybe he's using it to transport a body at some point as well. Now, what's weird, though, is with the Krista Harrison case, we have a witness who says that they thought they spotted a man fleeing the area of the dump site that morning. And he described a man, but the man was driving a car, not a van. Where we're at in the timeline, Captain, we're at the early part of 1983. Before we move on too far, I do want to point out this whole time, since August of 1981, remember the anonymous phone calls? The, these continued periodically off and on to the home of that 13-year-old Doylestown victim. Yeah, calls from the creepo. Now, on the 8th of March, 1983, one of the phone calls is then traced to the Melody Village residence of Bob Buell. Got him. On May 10th, 1983... In a back alley in the tiny town of Jeromesville, Ohio, this is located in the sticks of Ashland County, a man approached a little girl. The encounter starts with a question followed by, you know, everyday pleasantries, but ends with him attempting to pull her into his vehicle. Thankfully, the girl gets away, and after telling her parents, this incident is reported to the authorities where the child is able to offer a brief description of the vehicle. The vehicle is described as a two-door subcompact car, which turned out to be a Ford Pinto. Now, the very astute and aware child was able to provide authorities with a license plate number for the guy that tried to abduct her. Mm -hmm. Authorities find that the vehicle in question is registered to Bob Buell's ex-wife. So in the coming weeks, detectives will go to the home or, I'm sorry, Buell's ex-wife's home to ask about the Ford Pinto. 
this is where this guy is kind of getting lucky, right? I mean, he's smart. He's using resources to evade capture and detection, really. But the police, what do they have to go on? They have a license plate. Well, they're going to go and talk to his ex-wife who does not live with him. So that doesn't immediately put Bob Buell on the radar. It is a little weird that these anonymous, one of the anonymous phone calls is traced back to his home. So he should be on someone's radar by this point. Right. But the other tricky thing where he got lucky as well is remember we talked about the bag, the plastic bag in the cardboard box that was found near Krista Harrison's body. They were able to trace that back to to Sears, to the department store, and it was used to sell black car seats, vehicle seats. Remember, they traced that to about 25-ish people that lived in northeastern Ohio. Police would do a check on these individuals. However, none of them owned a vehicle at the time of Krista Harrison's abduction that matched the vehicle that was described by the witnesses. So Bob has this full-size van, but it's it's distinctly different from the one that it, that is believed to have been spotted by these witnesses. So another another case where this guy may have just got lucky. Somebody misremembered something or didn't remember something correctly when they gave the information to the police. Well, and I wonder being a loan officer, maybe he- he does auto loans and maybe he has some contacts with some local dealers. Maybe he's using somebody else's vehicle or, or dealers vehicles. Uh, later that same month, captain, a 29 year old woman is abducted at gunpoint in East Liverpool, Ohio. She is held prisoner and tormented for what she says is three days in a small house that she believes is owned by her abductor. On June 25th, 1983, Deborah K. Smith vanishes from a downtown street carnival in Maslin, Ohio. And sadly, her lifeless body will be found a little more than a month afterward. On Sunday, October 16th, 1983, a 28-year-old woman is abducted at a Damascus, Ohio gasoline service station. She is the one that was taken to a location that she believes could be the home of her abductor. She's the one that escaped the following morning when her attacker leaves the home. Now, later that day, Bob Buell returns to his home where he's greeted by local police. The man, of course, is arrested, identified as Robert Anthony Buell, the owner of the home. And over the course of the coming months, Bob Buell would admit to having committed the May 83 abduction of the East Liverpool, Ohio woman and the October 83 abduction of the Damascus woman. So he's confronted with this stuff. He's arrested for it. And through their investigation, they're going to get him to admit to abducting, raping and torturing these two women. But one thing that's incredibly different from some of these other cases that they're starting to wonder, could he be connected to the one woman escaped. The other woman was eventually let go by, by the captor. Right. So on the last day of January, 1984, Bob Buell at this time is 43 years old. He's sentenced to 121 
to 320 years in prison after pleading no contest to 16 felonies in connection with the two admitted abductions. He would be eligible for parole after serving at least 58 years. So he would have to live to be 101 years old to have his next possible day of freedom. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. 
$45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need to pack a lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, cheers, mates. Make sure you go to iTunes, give us a five-star review, and, and cheers to you, Colonel. Cheers to you, Captain. Starting on the day of Bob Buell's arrest in October of 83, local authorities, including the FBI and detectives from several counties, immediately began collecting evidence to build a case against Bob Buell for the abduction that we just talked about. Now, what they're finding, they're starting to link this to Krista Harrison's case with physical evidence. Right. And they're starting to build a case against Bob Buell for the abduction and murder of Krista Harrison. But if you're law enforcement, you have to be optimistic because, yes, you caught him red-handed, basically, mm -hmm. with the one abduction. The other one, you didn't catch him red-handed, but he confessed to it. So you have to be optimistic that if you have more evidence and you can lean on him more, that he might confess to other crimes. Well, and with these serial offenders, with these serial killers and rapists, usually what we end up talking about or the way that we are clued into who the, the offender is, is that there's a victim that manages to get away. And we've seen that time and time again. And in this case, she gets away, thankfully. They start finding evidence inside his home that's links him to the physical evidence found at the body dump site of Krista Harrison. Now we got all these different communities and different law enforcement agencies working together, focusing in on Bob Buell. And they start noticing that some of the physical evidence at Krista Harrison's 
dump site is similar to physical evidence that they found on Tina Harmon. Right. And at the time, this is this is just weird and bizarre, but from 1980 to about 1983, there were roughly about a dozen abduction and murders of child female victims in the state of Ohio. Mm-hmm. We know that Bob Buell was active for some of that time. He had, he pled no contest to two abductions, rapes, and tortures of these grown women. And so now he's kind of linked through the media, through some of the investigators, and at least in the eyes of the public, he might be responsible. Could he be responsible for all of these? Well, yeah, because one, these are happening the northeast part of Ohio. We know he's from Cincinnati, which would be the southwest part. So even if he doesn't have a bunch of contacts with his family, he still might have friends in that area. Well, that that gets him traveling through the whole state. We, we know he's a loan officer, so he's not traveling a bunch for his job. With those connections, he'd be traveling through the whole state of Ohio. Eventually, investigators would decide that they have enough evidence against Bob Buell to charge him for the murder and abduction of Krista Harrison. And his trial was scheduled to start March 19th, 1984. And the trial would take place in the city of Cleveland. It would take some time, Captain, but he is found to be guilty of Krista Leah Harrison's murder. And for this, he is sentenced to die by the state of Ohio. Time to die, Bob. You're talking about a guy who's already facing a minimum of 58 years all the way up to 300 years in prison for previous crimes. And now, I mean, what what are you left to do with this guy? He's already serving basically life in prison. And now you've figured out, oh, he also abducted and killed a child. So, of course, they sentence him to die. Bob Buell would maintain that he was innocent from the time that they arrested him until the time that they eventually put him to death. Innocent of he admits the child to murder. Yeah, he admits to abducting and, and traumatizing adult women, mm-hmm. but says that he had nothing to do with, with Krista Harrison's case. He had nothing to do with any of the child cases is what he claims. And I mean, he goes on to say, uh, look, I, I claims that he's innocent. He says there's no eyewitnesses and we'll come back to that or DNA evidence connecting him to the crime. Okay. You have to keep in mind, this is the early eighties, right? I don't know that we would expect to see conclusive DNA evidence connecting him to the crime at the time. The no eyewitnesses. This is an interesting statement, and this is actually a true statement. Even though the composite sketch looks like Robert Buell, these are the witnesses that saw the described man at the park abduct Krista Harrison. What we learn is he's able to say this definitively to to the public and in interviews and not be lying to us because apparently Roy, remember he said goodbye, Roy, or see you later, Roy, or something to that effect when he abducted Krista Harrison. Right. Roy couldn't pick Bob Buell out of a photo lineup. Well, that's odd. So this is a weird situation. It's all it's the reverse of the Tina Harmon wrongful convictions, right? The Tina Harmon wrongful convictions, we had fake eyewitnesses, so-called eyewitnesses that 
said that they uh, somebody admitted the crime to them, the murder to them, and no physical evidence, and they got a conviction, which were eventually overturned. But here in this case, Captain, we have a lot of physical evidence connecting Bob Buell to the murder of Krista Harrison, but we can't get an eyewitness, even though there were witnesses to the actual abduction. Yeah, but I think, and I'm just going to go out on a limb here, he, you know, we have a lot of times that these killers or these serial killers that we believe are responsible for, I mean, the age of the victims that he is admitting to kidnapping and torturing, they're a little bit older of victims. And so I, oh, I can confess to those, but I can't confess to this crime against a child because we know that there is prison justice most of the time for those individuals. Well, not only that, prison justice or not, they're sentencing him to die. Right. That's that his sentence is a death sentence. Right. That's what I'm saying. There's all these more motivating reasons uh, to to lie about this. But then you, but then it makes you wonder, and and just go with me on this for a little bit. It makes you wonder if the the science or the studying of these individuals correct. Most of them have some kind of type of victim that they're looking for. And we have him at least pinpointed on two victims and they're very similar. Is it possible that he was connected to any other individual that he would help, uh, uh, you know, I'll help uh, abduct a kid and I'll give the kid to you. If you help uh, abduct, you know, a, a teenager and give them to me, if that makes any sense. An adult. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it would be, um, it would make sense on why they can't pick him out of a lineup because whoever uh, abducted her might have not been her killer. Right. I know that's a long shot. Possibly. I mean, it's also a good amount of time has gone by from the, the very brief, quick abduction that a juvenile witness their statements. And when Bob Buell is actually arrested what we do have too, though, Captain, is we have an, an adult surviving victims, two right. that we are one hundred percent aware of, and neither of them describe anything other than Bob Buell is the man who abducted and tortured me. I know it was the early eighties, but did Bob have a computer in his house? I I do not know. I couldn't find anything in the the arrest record or the evidence collection that would tell me that he had a computer or not makes me wonder if he was a part of some kind of pedophilia ring or some kind of online network where he'd be exchanging illegal pornography or child porn. And then one piece of shit leads you to multiple pieces of shit. Well, and I, I get what people were saying because at the time people were like, you know, this man's saying that he's innocent. Yes. He's a horrible, horrible person. No, no matter what, because of the two crimes we know he did commit, but he's saying he's innocent of this, of this child murder. I get what people were thinking at the time that, okay, that's not his victimology, but right. We've been doing this for a little bit of time. Ted Bundy had both adult and child female victims. Richard Ramirez had both adult and child victims. BTK, BTK, adult and child victims. 
Joseph Condro, adult and child victims. I mean, the the list goes on and on and on. Joseph Condro told John Douglas in an interview that he decided, you know, he one, he absolutely had to be a pedophile, no doubt about it, but he's not willing to admit that to John Douglas in the interviews. He simply tells Douglas it was easier to abduct female children than it was to abduct female adults. Well, and with uh, Richard Ramirez, I mean, he had victims – I think as young as six all the way into the eight into their eighties. So that's a huge range. And sometimes with these guys, I mean, he's, he's a sexual sadist. Robert Buell is, and it may simply have been, he was out trolling for a victim and he happened to come across a 12 year old girl before he came across a 25 year old woman to abduct. He saw an opportunity and he took it, you know, he claims he was innocent, but the prosecutors argued that the evidence against him in Krista Harrison's case was overwhelming. I found it to be very uh, substantial, the case they were able to build against him. They convicted him on fiber evidence. This was fibers that were found in multiple locations at the dump, at the body dump site, on on some of the clothing as mm-hmm. well of Krista Harrison. And they're able to find these same fibers in his vehicle and in his home. They were able to match paint. There was different colors of paint that were found on some of the clothing items that were discarded near the victim as well. And they were able to match paint on those clothing items to paint found inside of his home. Right. So what you're saying is no matter what this this idiot said, he, he he's guilty of this crime. But it's also... Oddly, um, it's almost like Richard Ramirez in reverse in the sense of Richard had, what, 16 charges against him sexually assaulting minors and or, or raping minors, and he let all the children victims go, as far as we know, but the other victims he, he, he killed, and then it's almost in reverse, you know, we... We don't know that he was going to kill the the second adult that he captured. He let the first one go. If he would have let the second one go, it's it's kind of a weird. Yeah, but there's the devils in the details, my friend. What was one of the details that the surviving victim said? He placed a bag over my head, taped it to my neck, and left it there until I passed out. Mm-hmm. So the the two child victims, Tina Harmon and Krista Harrison. Both were described in their autopsies as having been choked. They died due to strangulation. Right. Probably due to some choking with a a rope type item Mm -hmm. and with hands. Now, a lot of times in this, I apologize. There's no way to deliver this other than, than how I'm about to do it. A lot of times these guys, they're sexual sadists. They they enjoy, just like we said in the trailer last week, they enjoy inflicting the pain and seeing the pain in the eyes and on the face of their victim. Right. And if choking and strangulation is their thing, a lot of times they will choke and strangle till the person will pass out, revive them and do it again and do it again and do it again. Yeah. What I'm pointing out here where people say, oh, he let go these these women that he tortured. Well, that may be. Who knows? I 100% believe, and we'll get into to why we should all agree, that Buell killed Krista Harrison and Tina Harmon. 
who knows, maybe his intention was to drive them out in the middle of nowhere and let them go. But they're children. You cannot inflict the same amount of pain and, and other torture right. to that of a child that you could a woman, who a full-grown person. Who knows? Maybe he intended to let them go and they they died during the torture process. Yeah, I think um, lethal injection, not nah, too easy. Even electric chair, too easy. I think what they do, they put him on it in a chair. They they make him spread eagle, and then they take well, they take. Hold on, they take. I'm the, trying to keep this sophisticated a little bit, but this is sophisticated. This is a uh, you you use that extension cord he had, and you plug it in, and then you take the other end and you just jab him. Right in the balls. Well, hot meat. The thing is, till if, death. If, if torture was his thing, and it, it definitely sounds like it was, you can take a little bit of joy in this next statement. You know, some people find this to be psychological torture. He was strapped up and ready to go back in 1996. They were going to put him to death. I mean, he was he was seconds away from being put to death, and they they called it off. Mm-hmm. Eventually, he would be sentenced to death and executed on uh, September of 2002. Now, he was only ever convicted of killing Krista Harrison. He was suspected of multiple child abduction and murders. Police always said in those counties, said, we have some evidence that we believe links Robert Buell to these cases. And their stance always was case closed, right? This, right. this guy's been sentenced to death. You can't kill a man twice, and he's been executed. That always sucks, though, for the victim's family of the other cases, because I, you, you want to know for for certain. Correct. And the thing is, what if, you know, it might be a very small percentage chance, but what if they're wrong? Mm-hmm. So what ends up happening in Tina Harmon's case is the family they come forward and they're like, well, we want to, we want to know for sure. We understand that the, the police are saying Robert Buell did this and they're like, yeah, we believe you, but we want to know for sure. Well, and the other thing is if, if it's not the right guy, then you have a equal animal on the street preying on these victims. Well, the interesting thing with the Tina Harmon case was they had Bob Buell's DNA on file, the state of Ohio. Yeah. And they had DNA evidence in Tina Harmon's case. And so the family was petitioning saying, Hey, test this DNA. Let's make sure that it was Robert Buell. And the County was like, well, we would, but it's awfully expensive. So guess who came after the County old friend of the show, James Renner, Jimmy Renner, he comes after the county and he says, well, how much does it cost? Maybe we can figure out a way to raise the money and we'll get somebody else to pay for it. Right. If the county can't afford it, the county comes back <laughs> and this is what, this is egg on the face, right? Where they go. Yeah. It's like 400, $500 to conduct these tests. Oh yeah. <laughs> you offer, offer that that's, to the family. That's not much sons of bitches. Offer it to the family. Hey, it's five hundred dollars. We, we we don't want to use taxpayer money, even though we should. Even though you probably paid more taxes last quarter uh, than what we are going to, what we need to run these tests. Offer it to the family. You p- 
pieces of shit. You know what I mean? So what ends up happening, Captain, is- Hold on. A a little girl died. Their their little girl died. And you're going to put a price tag on that? You pile of shit. Okay. Sorry. Well, eight years after the state of Ohio executed Robert Buell, they did conduct the DNA testing and confirmed 100% that they found his DNA on our victim, Tina Harmon. So he has been conclusively linked to two of the three murders that we discussed here today, the three child murders. Got him. The other thing, too, is a lot of those crimes that we talked about where the stranger abduction, yeah, the, these crimes that were reported, but they didn't have anybody to link them to. After Bob Buell was arrested, these victims started coming forward saying that was the guy that tried to abduct me. Right. So he's been linked to all of those. Now, per Wikipedia, Bob Buell, it was listed on his page on Wikipedia up until December of last year that he was most likely responsible for the North Columbus murder of eight-year-old Kelly Ann Prosser. However, we find out that that was not true because in June of last year, Columbus Deputy Police Chief Greg Bodker held a press conference 38 years after Kelly's murder and thousands of man hours expanded. There was a break in the case. Columbus cold case detectives received permission to utilize two new new investigative tools to solve Kelly's case. One was something we referenced earlier called the fifth floor, which is a podcast that is put out from time to time from Columbus PD. They discussed her cold case on their show, the fifth floor. The other technology was a process that we've discussed multiple times on this show and have already here today. It was the technology being used around the country to locate violent offenders who are not trackable using traditional detective work. We're talking about genetic genealogy investigations. Right. So in early 2020, the cold case unit hired advanced DNA to test samples taken from Kelly's body. Advanced DNA was able to match the DNA in the sample to a third cousin of a family which came primarily from West Virginia and was Caucasian. The family was associated with two surnames, and one of these... One of these surnames was Jarrell. The genetic evidence pointed to a Harold Warren Jarrell as that of being the killer of Kelly Ann Prosser. So after 38 years, Captain, the Columbus PD were finally able to close Kelly's case. And they identified Harold Warren Jarrell as her killer. Now, the detective... The cold case detective said, quote, he was not anywhere near the top of our list. In fact, he had never been mentioned in the original case file. Well, we see that from time to time. It's rare, but we do see it. And this was a a case of stranger. It's a stranger child abduction, which is so rare. And his name. Also, the reason why it's so hard to solve. His name didn't appear in the case file because he had nothing, he was nowhere near the, the circles, the social circles of this little girl or her family. He must have just spotted her alone 
and either tricked her to getting into his car or he abducted her. Yeah, and they, they weren't able to make a arrest on, on Harold, but he died in Nevada in 1996, and he was 67. Yes. Robert Buell seems like a perfect, the age of victims, the manner in which he does it, and seems brazen as far as being able to abduct people in broad daylight. Obviously, the, the picture doesn't match up, and obviously... He would have been in jail at the time of Amy Mihalovic's abduction. But that's why I question, yes, I know it's early 80s, but sometimes these sick individuals have communications with each other, whether it's online or through mail. And I just, I really just think um, it, maybe it's a long shot of a lead, but he could have been connected to somebody because it's very similar to the crimes that he committed. Well, that's one thing that we discussed at length with James Renner in regards to this case. We call him a nephew, but he's not technically a nephew of Robert Buell, who has been suspected in some other crimes. Some people think that maybe the nephew is responsible for Amy Mihaljevic's murder. Personally, I feel like the nephew just happens to be Robert Buell's nephew. Right. And the that they didn't really do anything in cahoots together. I think that Robert Buell is guilty of the crimes we suspect him of. And like I said, up until December, but this probably Kellyanne more, Prosser though, case, right? probably more. Yeah, yeah, probably some more, but this Kellyanne Prosser case was solved in the middle of last year. And, a, and his Wikipedia page still had him as the prime suspect in her case six months after it was solved. Brain. So I've, I'm glad to see that that has been updated and changed. And it's just really a unique look at this monster that was living in Northeast Ohio. And because of what we know, the crimes we know he committed, he's been suspected in so many other crimes that were left unsolved at the time. After his execution date, we have one cold case that's solved eight years after he's executed. And then Kellyanne Prosser's case, it solved 38 years after her murder, and it turned out to be somebody completely different. Yeah, and I, I know I don't say this enough, and I don't want to get too sappy on you, Colonel, but the amount of knowledge that you're putting out in these episodes, especially like a four-parter, it's just heads and tails above so many other hosts. And look, other true crime hosts are great storytellers, but... Is it too early to start calling you the goat, the goat of true crime? I mean, this is a lot of knowledge that you're passing on. And you and Renner, and I know not everybody's a fan of, of the King of Cleveland. Hey, not everybody's a fan of the Colonel either. <laughs> That's true. But I'm seeing these other shows get awards. I just don't think you're getting the credit, and I'm going to say it, and maybe some people are going to get mad. Guess what? Be mad. He might be the goat. I, maybe Nick's the goat. Maybe the colonel. Maybe the, the crispy colonel is the crispy goat. But on a serious note, let's okay. Let's get serious. The thing that I'm really proud of you and and Renner doing is the porch light project. Anybody can donate. Look, we just got done explaining that they didn't want to spend five hundred bucks to give answers to the victim's family. To Tina Harmon's family, yeah. 
the porch light project is taking on cases and helping, but it's not cheap and they need your help. So if you could take, you know, five bucks, 10 bucks, whatever, instead of going to Starbucks tomorrow, donate to the Porchlight Project, and you can do so at porchlightonline.org. Hit the support us button, and you can donate there. Well, and I really like the work that Porchlight is doing. I'm very proud of the work that we've done there. I'm going to pat myself on the back for something else, though, right here, Captain. Yeah. I well, like, as long as you don't stroke yourself. I like getting things right. I like things being correct, and that's why we we present the information we have in a certain way here in the garage because we want the record to be correct. I don't know that I was the person that, that is singly responsible for this, but I can say this. I emailed Wikipedia over and over and over last year until they removed that sentence from Robert Buell's page saying that he was the prime suspect in Kelly Ann Prosser's murder because we knew starting in June of last year that he was not responsible for that murder. In fact, in a June 2020 news conference announcing that they solved Kelly's case, Kelly's family thanked law enforcement for their dedication to their case over nearly four decades via a letter that was read aloud. And it, a portion of it was this quote, when Kelly Ann left for school, the morning of September 20, 1982, we did not expect our time with her would abruptly end or that our future would change in every way imaginable. One moment we had this dazzling mischievous eight year old little girl Then suddenly all we had left were memories, photographs that will never age, a calendar marking a dreadful new holiday, a grave, and pieces of Kelly's life stored in a box. So they now have their answers, but sadly, that's all they have. want to thank everybody so much for joining us here in the garage. Cheers to all you true crime addicts. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading? This is exciting. This fantastic book came out just yesterday. We were able to get an advanced copy so we could review, and we are very happy to recommend to you The Low Country Murder of Gwendolyn Elaine Fogel, A Cold Case Solved. This is by Special Agent Lieutenant Rita Schuler who worked on the case shortly after she joined the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, and she couldn't let this case go, not even after her retirement in 2001. You know I love these old cold cases, Captain. This is about the 1978 murder of Gwendolyn Fogel. It was the Walter Burrow Police Department's top cold case for 37 years. Check out the Low Country Murder of Gwendolyn Elaine Fogel, available now on Kindle and paperback. And if you are busy, don't worry about writing that title down now. We have that listed for you, along with a bunch of other great true crime books on our recommended page at truecrimegarage.com. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. 
Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.